As we move into this next chapter, we're actually going to be learning about two new functions and some of their applications and some of the calculus involved with these two functions. But first, it's helpful to understand another concept, which is called inverse functions. Now, inverse functions are often misunderstood, and a lot of times students wonder why they even have to learn them in the first place. One of the reasons is coming up soon in another section, but another reason actually is related to your calculator. For example, if you do something like taking the square root of a number or taking the log of a number, that may sound familiar, but it's coming up soon, your calculator does a process similar to what we do when we use inverse functions. But that's not all that's involved with inverse functions, and that's not the only reason why we need them. So as another example, let's talk about 3x equals 24. Now, when you solve this, the first thing you do is say, oh, I want to know what x is. So I have 3 times x, and I want to know what 1x is. So you would divide both sides by 3 to get x equals 8. What you're doing when you're dividing both sides by 3 is undoing the multiplication that was on that x. You're multiplying by 1 third. 1 third times 3x is the same as 1 third times 24, since we know 3x is the same as 24. 1 third is called the multiplicative inverse of 3. Now, you may recall that from somewhere back in your school days. The multiplicative inverse. It's what undoes the multiplication right there. So keep that in mind when we move into the next section. As another example, when you learned matrices, you might have had something like A times X equals B, where each of these is a matrix. And you may recall that we can't divide by matrices, right? We don't have an operation for division. But what we did have was something defined called A inverse, the multiplicative inverse of matrix A. And if we multiplied both sides of the equation on the same side by A inverse, then A inverse times A is I, which is the matrix equivalent of 1, just like 1 times x over there in the x equals 8 example. We have I times x, which is just x, equals A inverse times B. And so our solution was A inverse times B, which is similar to what we got over with the equation x equals 8. So these are two examples where you're actually using the concept of an inverse in order to, in this case, solve for x. Now, there are other uses for it. There's more to inverse functions than the idea of multiplying both sides by a inverse or solving for x. And as an example, I'd like to mention my last trip to Mexico. And the weather report there said that it was 30 degrees Celsius. And since my family is from the United States, we're not really that familiar with the Celsius temperatures. So since I was the resident mathematician, my husband asked me, what is 30 degrees Celsius in terms of Fahrenheit? And I'm not exactly ready to think about all the formulas that I teach during the rest of the year. So instead, I said, well, I do know that 0 degrees Celsius is freezing and 100 degrees Celsius is boiling. So I know that 0 degrees Celsius is equivalent to freezing in Fahrenheit is 32 degrees. 
And I also know that boiling in Celsius is 100 degrees Celsius, and boiling in Fahrenheit is 212. And I also know that the relationship between Celsius and Fahrenheit is linear. So you may recall that if you have two points and you know the relationship is linear, you could find the formula that relates Fahrenheit to Celsius. Now, honestly, what I did was I remembered that this formula involved 32 because of the freezing point and involved 9 and 5. And in order to remember where they go, I would say, okay, let's see, something degrees Celsius is linear, so it's going to be some slope times the degrees, put that the other way, something in degrees Fahrenheit is equal to the slope times something in degrees Celsius plus 32 because when Celsius is zero, Fahrenheit is zero plus 32. So Fahrenheit is 32 when Celsius is zero. So the 32 right here is my y-intercept of the formula. The slope I know involves the nine and the five. And I also know that when Celsius is 100, Fahrenheit is bigger, right, 212? So that implies to me that since I remember there was a nine and a five in there, the 9 must go on top and the 5 must go on the bottom as a slope in my formula. And then I double check. When Celsius is 100, divide 5 into 100 and you get 20. 20 times 9 is 180. And 180 plus 32 is 212. So 212 degrees Fahrenheit is the same as 100 degrees Celsius. And also when Celsius is 0, 0 times 9 fifths plus 32 is the Fahrenheit. So that works according to my two data points. So I have a formula that relates Fahrenheit to Celsius, and it's linear. And so if I know that Celsius is 30 degrees, then I can get Fahrenheit by just taking 9 fifths times 30 plus 32. And when I divide, I have 6 times 9 is 54, plus 32. So I get the Fahrenheit temperature is 86 degrees. So that tells me that if it's 30 degrees Celsius in Mexico, the equivalent to what I'm used to thinking about is 86 degrees Fahrenheit. Now we haven't actually discussed inverse functions yet, but what we do have is a function. Fahrenheit, a function of Celsius. And what I've done is to make a table using the relationships we already know. Zero degrees Celsius is 32 degrees Fahrenheit, freezing. 100 degrees Celsius is 212 Fahrenheit, boiling. 30 degrees Celsius, we found out, is equivalent to 86 degrees Fahrenheit. And I put another one in the table for you to find. Celsius is 20. What's Fahrenheit? Go ahead and pause and find that number and put it in the table. So what'd you get for Celsius being 20? Fahrenheit, 9 fifths times 20, 5 goes into 20 four times, 4 times 9 is 36, and 36 plus 32 is 68 degrees 
Fahrenheit. So hopefully you got 68 degrees Fahrenheit, and you can see we just have a function, a linear function, that you learned a long time ago. Now, you can actually also verify that the slope is 9 fifths if you'd like. You could see if you make a column for delta y and a column for delta x, it's really delta f and delta c, right? But we're used to x and y. So I do want to point out, though, that one of the most confusing parts about inverses is the fact that these x's and y's seem to change on you. So it helps sometimes to think about f and c instead. So looking at delta f, the change in the outputs, if you look at each of these, 68 minus 32, you have 8 minus 2 is 6, and 6 minus 3 is 3. There's that 36 we used before, right? 36 plus 32 gave us a 68 in the first place. Anyway, moving on, 86 minus 68, 16 minus 8 is 8. I borrowed one, so then I have 18. And right here, 12 minus 6 is 6, but I borrowed one. And then 10 minus 8 is 2, but I borrowed one. I have 126 here. If you check the delta x's, 20, 10, and 70, notice that these numbers are not constant. And that's not... That's not a problem because with linear functions, it's not that the delta y has to be constant all the time or that the delta x has to be constant, but the ratio of the two does. So if you double check this, 36 over 20 reduces down to, each of these are divisible by 4, 9 fifths. Or 18 over 10 reduces down to 9 fifths. Or 126 over 70. That one's a little harder, right? You can verify that that reduces down to 9 fifths as well. So there's our constant slope. So nothing new here, linear function. But what if we wanted to know, suppose we're a European coming to the United States, and somebody tells us that it's 70 degrees Fahrenheit, and we want to know what that temperature is in our relationship and what we're used to, and that would be in Celsius. Now, from this table, can you use the table to figure out what the degree Celsius would be corresponding to 70 degrees Fahrenheit? We could go backwards, couldn't we? 70 degrees Fahrenheit is very close to 68 degrees Fahrenheit. So the degrees in Celsius would probably be something a little larger than 20 degrees, right? Maybe 21, 22, something around there. We don't know for sure unless we use the formula, do we? But if we you go backwards from the table, looking up the Fahrenheit, then seeing what the corresponding Celsius would be, that action of going backwards is related to this concept of inverse functions. Given an output of an original function, what is the input that gave us that output? Given Fahrenheit, which is the output of this function, what is the Celsius temperature that relates? That concept is the concept of inverse functions. If we look at this from the standpoint of the traveler, somebody who is used to Fahrenheit and is traveling in Europe or Mexico would want some sort of table like this with possible values Celsius and then the corresponding Fahrenheit values. However, if we want a table for someone who's maybe European or from Latin countries who wants to come to the United States and understand what temperature it is, they would need a different table. And so we could make a corresponding table starting with Fahrenheit and giving the outputs of 
Celsius temperatures. Now, obviously on our Fahrenheit table, we would want 32 degrees Fahrenheit corresponding to a freezing zero degrees Celsius and 212 degrees Fahrenheit corresponding to 100 degrees Celsius. And then the other two, we would also put in there by just switching the input and the output, right? 68 degrees Fahrenheit is equivalent to 20 degrees Celsius, and 86 degrees Fahrenheit is equivalent to 30 degrees Celsius. So now we have a different table. We have the inverse table, if you'd like to think of it that way. We interchange or switch x and y. In this case, we're talking about Celsius or Fahrenheit. In the first table, the x corresponds to Celsius. In the second table, x, the input, corresponds to Fahrenheit. This is one of the most confusing aspects of inverse functions, is keeping track of what x is and what y is. And that's why it's more helpful to think in terms of C and F. So Fahrenheit over here gives us 68 degrees Fahrenheit is, is is equal to 20 degrees Celsius. So 70 degrees Fahrenheit, we guessed, would be somewhere clearly between 20 and 30, but much closer to 20 than to 30, because 70 is much closer to 68 than to 86. So we can use this table, but it's not exact for every possible value Fahrenheit, is it? If somebody wanted to know what 90 degrees Fahrenheit was in terms of Celsius, they would go here and say, well, 90 is bigger than 86 by 4 degrees, but that doesn't necessarily mean 4 degrees more in Celsius, does it? There's a factor here of 9 fifths, which changes things a little bit. So it's not so simple to just say 90 is 4 more than 86, so the Celsius must be 4 more than 30, but we at least have an idea that it's somewhere above 30 degrees Celsius, and anyone who knows Celsius would know that that's quite warm. So that might be good enough. Now, how could we be exact, though? If you recall from your previous studies, we could use the formula, couldn't we? To be exact, if Fahrenheit temperature is 90 degrees, what is Celsius? Well, if we use our formula, Fahrenheit is 9 fifths C plus 32 and we put in 94 Fahrenheit. Then we can solve for Celsius, can't we? Subtract 32 from both sides. This is nothing new. This is not really doing anything that you haven't already learned, right? 10 minus 2 is 8, and 8 minus 3 is 5. So we have 58 equals 9 fifths C. C is what we're looking for, so we multiply by the multiplicative inverse, 5 ninths, and whatever that number is, is our Celsius temperature, 5 ninths times 58. And I can tell you that I know that that's going to be between 30 and 35, and it's approximately equal to 32 degrees Celsius. So notice that even though it was 4 degrees more than 86, 90, it's not 4 degrees more than 30 in Celsius. It's actually only about 2 degrees more. 
So there's our temperature in Celsius, given a temperature in Fahrenheit. But if you're traveling, the last thing you want to do is get out your paper and, you know, do something like this, right? And you probably don't even want to have to do any kind of formulas, whether on paper or in your head. So if you want to think about the bigger scheme of things, maybe you would want to capitalize on this problem that comes up for travelers. And maybe you want to program some little device that in addition to maybe translating languages would translate temperatures for people. So you would need to know a formula to program into that little device so that if the, the traveler gives 90 degrees Fahrenheit, you can have this little device calculate the Celsius temperature for them. And in order to program that, just like in order to program your calculator, we need to know the formula for converting from Celsius to Fahrenheit and from Fahrenheit back to Celsius. So we have one of the formulas. We have Fahrenheit equals 9 fifths Celsius plus 32. But wouldn't it be nice to just have a formula for Celsius in general? Well, that formula you've probably found before by solving for a specified variable, solving for C. So going from Fahrenheit to Celsius, we would need to solve the formula F equals 9 fifths C plus 32. Solve that for C. So if we don't plug in 90, we just leave F, we still subtract 32, right? And then we have 9 fifths C. And I want to know what C is, so I multiply by 5 ninths. But whatever I do to one side, I have to do the other. So now I have a formula. Celsius is 5 ninths times Fahrenheit minus 32. If you look at that for a minute, it should make sense. Remember that 32 degrees Fahrenheit corresponding to 0 degrees Celsius? If you put in 32 here, 32 minus 32 will give you 0 times 5 ninths, which is 0 degrees Celsius. Also, what if you plug in 212 for Fahrenheit, just to double check our formula. 212 minus 32 is going to give us 180. And then 180 times 5 ninths, the 9 is going to go into 80 two times with the 0 after it, right? 9 goes into 18 twice, 9 goes into 0, 0 times, times 5, and 5 times 20 is 100, and that's Celsius. So it looks like the formula works. It works for two points, and if it's a linear relationship, all I need to check are those two points. So now we have a formula for any person traveling in the United States. Given a Fahrenheit temperature, they can get a Celsius temperature. So um, I'm sure these devices exist already, but if they didn't, you could make some money doing that probably, right? And all you would need to know is just a little bit about inverse functions. So we have our two functions, Fahrenheit. Fahrenheit as a function of Celsius, and Celsius as a function of Fahrenheit. These functions are called inverse functions for many reasons. There are many properties to these two functions. But the main thing that you need to think about is that one function gives an output for some given input. If you take that output 
and put it into the new function, you're going to go back to where you started from. And the best way to show you that is with some numbers. Using this relatively simple real-life example of Fahrenheit and Celsius, we've been talking informally about inverse functions, so I thought I would write up an informal definition of the inverse function. Given a one-to-one function, which one-to-one will be explained later as, as it comes up, given a one-to-one function f of x, its inverse function, f inverse of x is how we read this, not f to the negative one, not uh, one over f, it's, it means f inverse, just like a inverse for matrices. The inverse function f inverse of x is obtained by interchanging every x value and every y value. Now this is an informal definition because it's really more of a how to find an inverse function rather than what an inverse function is. It's also informal because I haven't explained one-to-one yet, but don't worry, it'll come up. So when we look at our data, looking at the table, we talked about how you can go from Celsius to Fahrenheit or vice versa from Fahrenheit to Celsius. This process of interchanging every x value and every y value is the process of finding an inverse function. And notice that if you start with, say, 20 degrees Celsius, and you get an output in the original function, we could call this our f function, not f for Fahrenheit, f for function. If we get an output of 68 for our original function, then that corresponds to inputting 68 into a new function that we call the inverse, f inverse, input 68 into f inverse, and the output needs to be 20 because what this inverse function does is tell you what you inputted into the original function to get an output of 68. If your input is 20, it outputs 68, so the output is now the input of a new function called the inverse, and the output of that is 20, which is our original input of the original function. Now, the thing that's most confusing, I think, about inverses is that the output and the input are switched, and so it gets very confusing What am I talking about? Output, input, input, output. Am I talking function or inverse? So think about the temperature. 20 degrees Celsius gives 68 degrees Fahrenheit. If you want to go backwards, if you're given 68 degrees Fahrenheit, then that came from 20 degrees Celsius. And so that's why the two values are interchanged. Another example, 30 degrees Celsius gives an output of 86 degrees Fahrenheit. So the the inverse relationship is 86 degrees Fahrenheit gives an output of 30 degrees Celsius, which takes us back to where we started. If you'd like to think about it in terms of those function boxes, we normally start with x as our input, right? It goes into some function f, and the output we call f of x. If that output is inputted into a different function, a very special one, just like the inverse uh, matrix is special related to the original matrix, you input f of x into the inverse function, your output 
will be what you started with. And we're going to look at this algebraically, too, with formulas. But this is called a composition property of inverses. You input x into a function, you get an output. We call it f of x, don't we? If you take that output, that's a y value of the original function, it becomes an x value of the inverse. The y value of f becomes the x value of f inverse. And when you plug that in to f inverse, the output of f inverse is the same as the input of the original function. So that's what's most confusing, I think, about inverses, is that when we say x, we can be talking about x, or we might even be talking about y if we're looking at the inverse function. So it can be kind of confusing. Just kind of take this in, make a note of it, and when we go through examples, you can look at it again. Input x into a function, output is f of x, you plug that into the inverse, that's the same as just plugging 86 into our formula for converting Fahrenheit to Celsius. You plug in that output from the previous function into the inverse function, and the output of the inverse was the inverse, it was the input of the original function. So looking at it using our two formulas, let me erase some of this. F equals 9 fifths C plus 32. If I want to use, say, C of 30, my input into this original function is 30. F equals 9 fifths times 30 plus 32. F equals 6 times 9, 54, plus 32, which is 86. That's an F value. If we take the output of the original function and we plug that in to this special function that's called the inverse of the original function, hopefully we should get what we started with. So I'm going to take that 86, which was the output of the original function, 86 degrees Fahrenheit, plug it in for f, the input of this new function, Celsius is 5 ninths times 86 minus 32, 6 minus 2 is 4, 8 minus 3 is 5. 9 goes into 54 6 times, 6 times 5 is 30. So I got back the Celsius value that I started with in the original function. As we move forward, we're going to be working with these things called F and F inverse of X, and they're not necessarily going to have a context in terms of temperature. So I'd like you to remember the temperature example when you're keeping track of what's an input and what's an output. And when we do this thing called composition of functions and their inverses, you'll see that you should get back to where you started with, started from, and the thing that you usually start with is your input, X. So this 30 could be thought of as x, and notice we plug it into the first function, then we plug that output into the inverse function, and back we get where we started, which we're often going to call x. 
So to summarize, these two tables represent inverse functions because if you think of this as your original function, here's your input, you get an output. Then if you take that output and make it the input of this new function, you get as an output of the inverse the original input of the original function. So you can see it really, when you're going from a table and you're just asked to find the inverse, all you have to do is just interchange the x and the y values. So whatever was an x here is a y over here, hence the same color. And whatever is a y here is an x in the next table. So you just interchange the two if you're given data points for one of the functions. Just switch them, and that'll make the inverse for the new function. Now, if you're given a formula, say f equals 9 fifths c plus 32, then there's a technique that I'm going to show you in the very next example. But it's helpful to think about when you wake up in the morning, say you put on your socks, your shoes, and you tie your laces. You started with bare feet, right? So bare feet, put on your socks, put on your shoes, tie your laces. Before you go to sleep at night, you have to take all that off, right? So you untie the laces, take off the shoes, then take off the socks. So you do the opposite operation, the reverse operation, in the reverse order. If you see here, if we start with bare feet is Celsius here in red, then the first thing we did to change the Fahrenheit was to multiply by 9 fifths. Then at the end, we added 32. So if we want to go backwards, if we're given Fahrenheit, the output of the original function, and we want to go backwards and get Celsius, then we have to do the opposite thing in the opposite order. So the last thing we did in the original function was to add 32. So the first thing we do in the inverse function is to subtract 32. Then the the first thing we did with the original function was to multiply by 9 fifths. So the last thing we do for our inverse function is to multiply by the reciprocal 5 ninths. And when you do that, we solve with numbers, you actually get back to where you started with. So this is our inverse function. First, subtract 32. Notice it has to be in parentheses. Then multiply by the reciprocal of 9 fifths, 5 ninths. The one other thing that I'd like to mention is the idea of domain and range, because that's also a very um, confusing topic sometimes for students. The domain is just the set of all possible x values for a function. These four values are elements of the domain in the original function, 0, 20, 30, 100. Notice that what was in the domain of the original function is now in the range of the inverse. Range of inverse function was the domain of the original function. And similarly, the range of the original function is now the domain of the inverse. Why is that true? Why is the domain of the function equal to the range of the inverse? And the range of the function equal to the domain of the inverse? Because we switched x and y, didn't we? Now, in the next example, we're actually going to look at the graphs, too, so you can see the relationship between functions and their inverses in three ways, numerically, algebraically, or analytically, looking at the formulas, and then we're also going to look at it graphically.